Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. While much of the country remains divided, Native Americans are united in their support for sovereignty for tribes in Oklahoma. A thorough investigation and reconciliation over boarding school atrocities and the fight to rid sports of offensive mascots. Those are among the top issues for tribes as National Congress of American Indians President Fawn Sharp delivers the State of Indian Nations address today. We'll hear the address coming up after the news. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The past year has seen the appointment of the first Native American cabinet secretary in history and a record number of Native political staffers, victories in the ongoing fight against objectionable mascots, and a major settlement benefiting tribes' fight against the opiate crisis. At the same time, the COVID-19 pandemic and other health risks pose a continued threat, and tribes continue to struggle for their sovereign rights, like the jurisdiction battle in Oklahoma and voting access in Utah, Montana, and Arizona. Today, we're getting a perspective on how Native nations are doing from the president of the National Congress of American Indians. Here is Fawn Sharp with her annual State of Indian Nations Address from earlier today. My name is Fawn Sharp. It is my distinct honor and privilege to welcome those of you watching to the 20th annual State of Indian Nations Address. I am humbled to stand before you once again as president of the National Congress of American Indians. Today, I am here to give a voice to all of those NCAI represents, to share the story of Indian country's tenacious strength, our vibrant cultures, and to advance the government-to-government -government relationship between tribal nations and the United States as equal and abiding partners. I wanna take a moment to acknowledge the tribal leaders with us today as well as the elders, advocates, youth, and ever-expanding network of partners and allies who would normally be seated right here in front of me. I also want to applaud the NCAI board who are in attendance. It is because of your dedication and commitment to serving Indian country that we were able to carry out NCAI's first ever virtual elections during the 78th annual convention last fall. Thank you for your confidence, and we are honored to carry on the important work of this difference-making organization on your behalf, just as the founders, the NCEI, has, have intended. Since the first time I stood here to deliver this address, much has changed in the world around us, yet one reality remains. The 574 tribal nations, dozens of state-recognized tribal nations, and millions of Native peoples across the United States are as strong and resilient as ever. Make no mistake, there is plenty of work to be done, but while we have remained strong through the headwinds and resistance, I want to take pause and for a brief moment to acknowledge and reflect upon where we are and the times we are in and what we are going through during this global pandemic that has taken many lives and impacted us all tremendously. The strain on our communities, our people, and our leadership has kept us physically apart when our power as nations comes from gathering together and precisely at the time we need that connection the most. 
We are here to protect the health and well-being of our communities. As such, this address is not only intended to provide insight into the state of Indian nations, but to raise the bar for advocacy for Native peoples, to ensure our federal trustee gets behind the vision we have for our tribal nations and communities, and to keep rebuilding our economies, to remove the barriers between where we stand now and the bright vision of tribal nations exercising our full spectrum of sovereignty, a task that cannot be accomplished by any individual or one organization alone. It takes all of us, it takes Indian country, to come together and create solutions, to build bridges and forge a courageous path forward. I must acknowledge the transformative leaders who came before us, guiding us with their knowledge and experience and laying the firm foundation for which we will carry this work for generations to come. To my fellow tribal leaders that I now stand shoulder to shoulder with, now more than ever, NCAI needs your guidance, your partnership, and your help in order to shape our futures and meet the collective needs of our people. When we move together as one, we are able to heighten the presence of tribal nations and claim our role as a vital part of the original American family of governments. The inclusion of tribal nations and political and public discourse over the past year has never been higher and it's the decades of collective advocacy, education, and outreach that have set the stage for the moment that we are now in. Our voices have been heard loud and clear, and our strength and wisdom have been put on display. Federal partners have heard our demands for partnership and support and have responded with historic investments and expanded engagement with Indian country. In one of his first presidential memorandums since taking office, President Biden called for strengthening nation-to-nation -nation relationships through enhanced tribal consultation. Doors that were once closed are starting to open. Doors that we open have become more welcoming in ways that neither we nor our ancestors have ever witnessed. This is an important start, but it's up to us, fellow tribal leaders, to show up and walk through those doors so we can continue to push for meaningful consultation, for a stronger government-to-government -government relationship, and ultimately for free, prior, and informed consent. Our sovereign status demands that the United States government seeks consensus and gets our consent before taking actions that affect our people, our lands, and our sacred sites, and we will not rest until that is what we have. However, in the years since the President's memorandum on tribal consultation, we have seen a concerted effort toward building stronger communication, better understanding of Indian country's priorities, and enhancing partnerships. We are starting to see tangible progress. In fact, we find ourselves in a time where strong Native leaders are being appointed to positions throughout the Biden administration. Six Native Americans have been nominated by the President and confirmed by the Senate the most ever by any administration, and we hope more are to come. We have witnessed the historic confirmation of Deb Holland as Secretary of the Department of Interior, the same department our forebears once fought to educate on tribal issues now has a fierce Native woman, the first Native American to serve as a cabinet secretary at the helm. And that's just the beginning. We are also seeing the effect of an expanded commitment 
to Indian country through policies and funding opportunities. Just this past year alone, more than $45 billion were marked for Indian country directly in congressional spending and economic relief legislation. Indian Health Service received more than $6 billion to provide life-saving services, medical treatment, and vaccines to our communities. When our nations are provided the funding, the parity, the deference, we hold up and support our communities and citizens with the funding and support from the economic relief packages. Tribal governments are now getting access to funding and programs that have been historically closed to our nations. In November, Congress passed a once-in-a-generation infrastructure bill and more than $13 billion designated for Indian country. This hard-won investment sprung from decades of tribal leader advocacy, and $13 billion is only the beginning. Tribal governments are now eligible for funding and programs throughout the new law. We now call on the federal government to uphold a relationship based on respect and full of promise to ensure these programs are implemented effectively. America is only as strong as the foundation of its tribal communities. As the true work in implementation continues, it, is, it isn't enough to have a foot in the door. Tribal nations must have a seat at the table where key decisions are being made. Effective and responsible development cannot happen without the input and direction of those on the ground in our communities. Consultation is simply not negotiable. I call on the Biden administration to ensure that tribal nations are consulted with free, prior, and informed consent to ensure the infrastructure planning that's occurring across this country has tribal nations feedback embedded within each blueprint. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic exposed a longstanding issue, and that is our nation's digital divide. For Indian country, this pandemic shed an imminent light on the lack of broadband access in our communities. It is not merely a matter of inconvenience, it is the difference between saving a life, accessing education, and delivering essential services. Tribal nations need funding, technical assistance, and workforce development support to ensure that once we close the digital divide, it stays closed for good. Our federal partners must also work together collaboratively and across agencies with tribal nations to make this happen. The federal trust and treaty responsibility to tribal nations also extends beyond infrastructure development. It includes the co-management of our sacred places and ancestral homelands. We commend the Biden administration's first steps to protecting sacred sites that are vital to traditional ways of life, such as the expansion of full protection to the Bears Ears, Grand Staircase Escalante, and the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monuments. The protection of sacred places is vital to maintaining and preserving the distinct identities traditions, and histories of Native peoples. Co-management practices must be an inclusive and shared responsibility. It is our sovereign right to manage and protect our resources, and it is the federal government's responsibility to ensure that is carried out through cooperative agreements concerning both state and federal lands. With 80% of the Earth's biodiversity being protected by Indigenous peoples, we have demonstrated the value of promoting harmony with the world around us for generations. We have a sacred obligation as the land's original stewards 
to protect the natural resources that sustain our communities, economies, and ways of life by exercising our traditional ecological knowledge. For example, the Karuk tribe in California, in collaboration with federal and state agencies, has been carrying out their traditional wildfire management systems to combat the devastating effects of wildfire damage from climate change to protect their lands, resources, foods, and ceremonial practices. But the work doesn't just stop with our homelands. We stand with our indigenous brothers and sisters from across the globe in protecting, preserving, and sustaining Mother Earth. This year has set a precedent for the value of tribal inclusion at all international climate-related conferences and negotiations moving forward. It is impossible to confront the existential crisis of climate change without the world's indigenous leaders. And that has been exemplified through NCEI's participation at the Conference of Parties 26. I was honored and humbled to be the first ever tribal leader to join the U.S. delegation, an important step in ensuring our nation's voices are heard alongside with other world leaders. The world knows and understands disproportionate impacts of climate change to indigenous peoples. As we continue to tackle climate change, there is a new opportunity on the horizon for tribal nations and the post-pandemic economic recovery world to be part of this global conversation. Our tribal nations, sovereign standing, demands that we are part of the discussion with the United States when it is working with friends and allies and the public and private sectors. We must seize this moment domestically and internationally. In places where our lands are protected, we must also make sure that they are respected. The Department of Interior has started the process to review 650 offensive native-themed geographic names on federal lands. The time to reclaim and rename racist and derogatory names which discount our rich histories and thriving, vibrant cultures is now. We've seen the tides of change across the country as we continue to call on the federal government, state and local governments, school boards, and sponsors to help us finally retire offensive and dehumanizing Native-themed mascots. And in the past year, much progress has been made. Nationally, nearly 70 school mascots have been retired. Three states, Colorado, Nevada, and Washington, enacted comprehensive legislative bans of Indian mascots at K through 12 schools. And finally, with the Washington Commanders and Cleveland Guardians, we begin a new era of accountability and change. We will not rest until the last offensive Indian mascot is retired, such that the schools our children attend may foster equitable learning environments and well-being for all students. History has shown us the importance of the environments in which our Native children learn and grow. And Indian country has waited generations for the truth and justice owed to our ancestors and elders taken away from our communities and placed in boarding schools. While all of our communities were changed forever under the federal boarding school policies, many of our ancestors never made it home. Secretary Holland establishing Interior's Indian Boarding School Initiative begins the shining of a light as we finally have a place for our stories and traumas to be heard. We know this is not where we'll find healing, but it is a place where we may find some justice. 
We will also continue to push for a Congressional Truth and Healing Commission to ensure these atrocities are investigated fully. We know the truth of what happened, and it is time the world does too. When the world hears our voices, change happens. Nowhere is that more clear than at the ballot box. Despite the challenges presented by the pandemic and with significant pre-existing barriers to exercising our right to vote, more Native people still cast votes in the 2020 election than ever before. We made an enormous impact that resulted in an increase of Native representation in the U.S. House of Representatives and in state legislatures nationwide. We vote because we know how important our voices are and what happens when they are ignored. This is why tribal nations have been calling on Congress to pass reforms that protect Native people's right to vote and why we work tirelessly to inform our people of how they can exercise their right to vote. And so I urge each of you here as tribal leaders, as concerned citizens, as members of this democracy, make your voices heard, get out and vote. Native representation is not only important in elected office, but in judicial systems. Tribal nations and tribal communities are impacted by federal laws and courts more so than anyone else. When we do not have Native voices, perspectives, or experience on the federal bench, often decisions are made that ignore our history, sovereignty, and our truths. These decisions have long-lasting effects. In the past year, we've seen the confirmation of Judge Lauren King, the first Native American federal judge to serve in Washington state, and the nomination of the first ever Native American federal judge in California, Sunshine Suzanne Sykes. With constant attacks on our sovereignty, our jurisdiction, and the ability to protect our Native children in courts, we must ensure that we keep fighting for our sovereignty, our laws, and our future. We must also further protect our communities and citizens by continuing to advocate for the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women's Act, acknowledging and restoring tribal nations' jurisdiction over criminals that target our Native women and children is essential to making sure justice gets served for Indian Country. Together, we can dramatically change the environment in Indian Country by strengthening VAWA to empower tribal sovereignty and safety. We have seen many promises fulfilled over the last year. We have seen strides where once they were baby steps. We have seen doors open that were once locked. But we must not forget all the promises that came before that were not kept and that some of the most important promises remain broken. We must always refer back to our histories, treaties, and agreements. The 2018 Broken Promises Report, which illuminates the vast needs in Indian country in everything from joblessness to poverty to healthcare to public safety to education. While the historic investments into Indian country over the past year are progress to solve the centuries of mistrust we must keep fighting forward to hold the federal government to its trust responsibility to every tribal nation. It is not enough to let Congress off the hook for failing to fulfill their trust responsibility to another generation. To the extent that there is a gap between our economic conditions today and the bright future that we collectively see, see for all tribal nations, 
Our trustee has that responsibility to get behind our vision and support tribal sovereignty and self-determination. Tribal nations have become leading employers in our country. The means we must keep fighting for full appropriations and especially for advanced appropriations. This means that our trustee must get behind our vision for a healthy tribal economy, including supporting tribal tax policies. This means removing the regulatory barriers for taking our land back into trust to protect it for generations to come. This means that the federal government, the parity with state and local governments must continue to be the norm going forward. This means raising the bar of accountability and the trust responsibility. If this year has shown us anything for certain, it is never too late to mend broken promises. No matter the challenges, Native people have risen to the occasion. Our ancestors have gifted us with their wisdom, with their strength, and with their tenacity. Their will to protect our communities is embedded within our DNA. We all have a role to play. It is our duty as Native people to honor these gifts by using every mechanism available to us to practice our cultures, protect that which is sacred to us, and make the will of our people heard. It is our duty as tribal leaders to champion advocacy efforts to ensure the needs of our people are met and to help shape and to secure the future of the generations yet to come. And it is the duty of the National Congress of American Indians to ensure that we aren't just a DC-centric organization, but that we are and always will remain a representative Congress of tribal nations. Our strength lies just as much in our diversity as it does in our unity, and we invite more tribal nations to stand beside us. Much of the success discussed today is a direct result of NCAI recommitting to supporting the vision of tribal nations and creating the spaces and opportunities to bring tribal leaders together, to amplify our voices, and to march the collective will of hundreds of tribal nations through Capitol Hill and to the doorstep of the White House. NCAI exists to fight for the inherent rights of tribal citizens and to protect the sovereignty of every tribal nation. We are here to work with every one of our partners to hold on to what we've gained this year and to keep fighting for what is right for our tribal nations. And we're only going to become stronger. In order to do so, self-determination, sovereignty, and resilience must keep guiding our way. We stay grounded in our collaboration with non-tribal entities, from the administration to federal lawmakers and to state governors. It is your duty to respect our right to self-governance, to work with us for the betterment of the people we serve, and to fully honor the trust and treaty obligations this country holds with tribal nations. Despite the hardships we have endured in 2021, there have been many positive steps forward. However, we acknowledge there is still much work to be done to build upon the successes of this past year. It will take all of us working together to create solutions and build a brighter future for our communities. 
I ask that you join us in raising the bar of advocacy and reinforcing our commitment to creating positive change in Indian country. In answering this call to action, there is no doubt Indian country will continue to advance the bold legacy of leadership that we inherited to ensure generations yet to be born will live in a cleaner, healthier, and more prosperous and just future. I have never been more excited about the progress we've made and the incredible opportunities in front of us. The time has come. The moment is now. Let's get to work. Siokwia. That was National Congress of American Indians President Fawn Sharp with the annual State of Indian Nations Address. Now we'll hear the congressional response from Sharice Davids, a citizen of the Ho-Chunk Nation and the representative from the 3rd Congressional District of Kansas. Here is Representative Davids. Thank you, President Sharp, um, to NCAI and, and uh, all our relatives who are tuning in um, and creating this space to amplify the voices of, of Indian country. I'm coming to you uh, live from my office um, in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, but I want to make sure that you know your, your message is definitely being heard in, in Washington, D.C., amongst my colleagues on Capitol Hill and certainly across the administration. Um, I'm it's definitely uh, humbled and honored to be here today to deliver the 2022 congressional response uh, to the state of Indian nations. Uh, I'm Representative Sharice Davids. I am a proud uh, citizen of the Ho-Chunk Nation of Wisconsin. I'm the daughter of an army veteran, uh, and I have the honor of representing the third congressional district in Kansas. And I'm, I'm looking forward to when we get to do this sort of thing uh, uh, in person. Uh, uh, again, because I, I think we all want we all want to get back to that. And as as President Sharp said, the road to recovery is is definitely long. Uh, my hope uh, is that we're all starting to see the sun break through the clouds a little bit on this pandemic. You know, vaccinations are going up. Uh, our economy is um, moving in the right direction. And uh, you know, I think it's well known amongst this uh, uh, this group that the pandemic has certainly disproportionately impacted uh, uh, American Indians, Alaska Natives, our, our indigenous uh, communities. You know, with with the infection rate at times being uh, 3.5 times higher than um, than 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 non-Hispanic whites uh, in our in our country, um, and seeing a higher mortality rate um, at times too. I think. Uh, the pandemic has certainly been felt in every corner of Indian country. And um, I just want to send my, um, my, my prayers and, um, you know, my heart is with everybody who's been affected, um, particularly folks who have lost, uh, lost loved ones. I know that, um, that that's something that a lot of folks have been dealing with. Um, but, you know, I think I kind of started talking about this earlier. I, I, I do have hope. Um, I have hope for our uh, tribal nations and, and communities, um, you know, seeing that uh, tribes really followed the science and came together to protect our elders and youth and, and communities. Um, you know, when hard fought resources reached, uh, reached uh, tribal nations, uh, we saw the implementation of vaccine programs that really were the best fit um, for each of your specific communities. And, I think um, you know, seeing the uh, IHS, tribal health programs, urban Indian organizations really led the way in vaccination rates. Um, you know, with 
the 2.1 million doses being administered um, and in pretty quick order once those things were made available, I think um, I think it really showed the strength of, of Indian country coming together um, to protect our communities. And I also uh, really wanna say thank you to, uh, to our frontline workers that have made really huge sacrifices to care for our communities, um, particularly in this last couple of years. I just hope that um, you all know that your efforts have not gone unnoticed or, uh, or unappreciated. Um, you know, I think being that this is the congressional response, um, I do wanna make sure that folks know that like I'm committed to doing everything that I can to continue to support the recovery um, that we're looking at across tribal nations, whether we're talking about health or, or economic prosperity. And um, for folks, oh, I just jumped right in. For folks who um, maybe don't know, you know, I, when I was elected uh, in 2018, I, it, I was one of the first two Native American women um, ever to serve in Congress, uh, alongside my dear friend um, and now Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. Um, and that was, well, she left me, which is fine. I'm glad she's doing the job that she's doing. Um, but it was definitely an incredible honor. And, and I, I will say that since then, we have seen some uh, really amazing progress with, uh, with Secretary Holland at the helm of, of interior, the bar has been raised um, now for generations to come without how the federal government uh, should be working with tribes and, uh, and strides are being made to make sure that um, that, that, that work is done in a, uh, in a much uh, better way. Uh, Secretary Holland and, and this administration's efforts to be accountable to tribal nations is, uh, is shown not just in rhetoric, but also in actions. Um, in this last year, we saw, and, and President Sharp spoke to some of this, um, you know, we've seen Interior and the administration uh, create the derogatory geographic names task force, the missing and murdered unit, um, the federal boarding school initiative, and, and that's just a few of the things that we've seen. Um, I, I know that Secretary Holland will be speaking later and um, just publicly want to say I, how much I appreciate um, her leadership and compassion and, um, and of course, her, her friendship. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also really proud of the direction that Secretary Holland is taking um, the, the federal, taking and helping the federal government. And I know that uh, tribal nations and leadership have, um, uh, have an opportunity now through that, uh, through those conversations to really have great strides in strengthening um, the indispensable federal trust responsibility. Um, I've, I don't wanna uh, repeat too much of what President Sharp said, but uh, we have seen some, some really historic uh, leaps forward for the representation of Indian country in the federal government over this last year. Uh, you know, with, with Secretary Holland being the first native person appointed to the cabinet. Um, and then we also have uh, five uh, indigenous native members of Congress, uh, two women and, um, and, and three men. And as co-chairs of the bipartisan congressional Native American caucus, um, Representative Tom Cole and I have worked with our vice chairs, um, the leadership of the house committees and, um, and our other colleagues 
to ensure that the needs of tribal nations and communities are prioritized and that our voices are included in uh, discussions from healthcare to infrastructure. Uh, you know, a, a priority of the Congressional Native American Caucus is to educate our colleagues on the complexities of Indian country. Um, and that includes doing things like, like hosting educational briefings on matters um, of access to healthcare, broadband, infrastructure. Those are um, some of the briefings that we've had and, and we're gonna continue to uh, host and plan um, briefings in, in the future. And um, it's, it's not in my notes, but I do want to uh, say uh, a, a quick shout out and thank you to, to Rainey Williams, um, who works in, uh, in, in my office. Uh, she has, uh, she started during this congressional session, jumped right in and has been a huge, uh, uh, a huge support and taken a lot of, uh, initiative around the Congressional Native American Caucus. And so just want to, um, publicly thank Rainey for all the work that she's doing. Um, and then I also want to thank NCAI for, uh, joining uh, the caucus to take that time to educate members uh, and staff about the unique relationship that tribal nations have with the federal government. Uh, because every single member of Congress has that obligation to uphold, um, to be aware of and educated on the federal trust responsibility. The, the Congressional Native American Caucus has, has always been a bipartisan uh, caucus, and that's because Indian country issues are not, are not partisan issues. And I think that, um, you know, making sure that the Native American caucus is addressing issues in a bipartisan way uh, as, as we look forward to continuing our work is gonna, is gonna be key to having that lasting, lasting federal policy that will uh, not just acknowledge, but adhere to the federal trust responsibility and um, truly recognize the, uh, to recognize the tribal sovereignty. And, um, you know, that, that work that I'm doing, not just with the Native Caucus, um, but with all of my colleagues, extends, of course, to my positions on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, to the Small Business Committee. And uh, through those roles, I'm working not only to support the recovery of Indian country, but really to build a strong foundation for the future. Uh, infrastructure is a vital tool. Uh, for increasing access to opportunity. And uh, I certainly believe that with the right policy, we can set a foundation for a serious economic growth over the next decade. And I, um, you know, I, I think that the, it was a huge accomplishment for Congress to be able to get passed um, and signed into law the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, uh, which is also sometimes just uh, uh, referred to as the bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, my, my colleagues and I worked diligently um, to ensure that uh, this bill had uh, $11 billion for Indian country to create infrastructure investments in our climate, roads, and, um, and to help bridge the, the digital divide. So um, I would, I mean, I just, it's not just because I'm an infrastructure nerd, although I am. Um, I, I definitely, um, I definitely think that the infrastructure uh, bill is going to be something that that has a positive impact on uh, on Indian country, and you know, part of the reason that that things like that happen is 
um, not just me, others, but I know I absolutely made sure to communicate at every single meeting we had during negotiations, whether I was with my colleagues at the White House uh, or um, uh, on the committee in hearings, uh, I, that, that Indian country has to be included, has to be at the table, and, um, and those resources need to be there. Um, you know, the, the, okay, I'll stop with the infrastructure. I, I could go on for, for days about infrastructure, but, um, uh, the last thing I'll say, I promise, uh, is that the Native American caucus has, uh, has already hosted some briefings with both interior, uh, the commerce department and, um, and others to, to try to make sure that, uh, not just that we know, but also uh, everybody knows how uh, they're holding tribal consultations uh, while they're implementing the infrastructure law and the, the programs and policies that were included in the, um, uh, what really is historic infrastructure investment is gonna build our economy uh, back uh, better than it was before and help create good paying jobs um, and, and invest in infrastructure in a, a smart and, and, and sustainable way. We heard from, President Sharp about the number of, of acres, the amount of, um, uh, of uh, uh, land and resources that, are, um, that our, our native communities are the stewards of. And so I think that that's really important. Um, I can see you guys are on the screen now and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to like, let me just see, I have a couple bullet points. I'm trying to, uh, I, I'll mention a couple of the of bills um, in part because President Sharp, you uh, touched on a few of these things. Um, I have uh, uh, been supportive of and co-sponsored the Urban Indian Health Confer Act. Um, it, it's passed out of the House. It's awaiting consideration in the Senate. Um, you know, this is this bill would help ensure that rural and urban communities have their uh, health needs met um, and. I think, uh, you know, we've seen uh, why having our health systems being um, well-resourced and stable is so important. Um, and so advanced appropriations for IHS uh, would allow greater planning for that. Um, and, uh, and this bill would help with that. And it would also help with recruitment and retention of healthcare providers uh, so that we have higher quality care for, uh, for our, our tribal communities, both um, and uh, on reservations and in urban areas. And, um, you know, I, I guess I, just so everybody knows, Congressman Don Young, Congressman Betty McCollum, and, and um, Congressman Tom Cole have been tireless advocates for advanced appropriations for IHS. Um, and, uh, and I know a lot of uh, folks who are on here have as well. Uh, so hopefully we are, um, you know, uh, uh, leaps and bounds ahead of where we were before, but I would encourage folks to reach out to your senators um, and encourage support for the advanced appropriations for IHS. Um, and then um, I, I do want to talk about the, the Truth and Healing Commission um, that would be part of, uh, part of the efforts to address um, uh, uh, boarding school policies um, so there's the, the bill that uh, I've introduced, Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding School Policies Act, um, which would help 
um, because it establishes a formal commission to investigate and document, document uh, assimilation practices that occurred um, and that we heard uh, President Sharp uh, speak to earlier. Um, and you know, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who has not been impacted by this um, in Indian country today because of um, how, uh, how big of a, a issue this has been. Um, and then I think the last thing is the Native American Voting Rights Act. Um, you know, I, I have uh, reintroduced the Native American Voting Rights Act uh, of 2021. Um, and uh, my friend and colleague, Senator Ben Ray Lujan, who was a leader while he was in the House and, and is continues to be so as a senator, um, uh, is, you know, we're, we're all working on this. Uh, also, just really quickly want to um, uh, say that, you know, I, we're all hoping for the uh, quick, swift recovery um, uh, for, for Ben Ray Lujan. Um, and, and then, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, the Native American Voting Rights Act is, is probably the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, um, because it's clearly, uh, you know, tribal, uh, tribal members uh, and tribal governments um, have seen that there are unique barriers that exist and, um, and the Native American Voting Rights Act or NAVRA would help um, because it requires states to partner with tribal governments on uh, identifying accessible locations for voting registration, polling locations, drop boxes, those sorts of things. Also creates a standard for accepting tribal IDs for voter registration. Um, and, and then uh, that there's a, a tribal administrative review process um, that would need to be adhered to if states are attempting to consolidate or relocate or eliminate polling locations. Um, all right, I'm gonna stop because I know that we there's questions and this sort of thing. So I wanna I wanna give at least a few minutes for that. Um, but I, I just appreciate all of you so much for your leadership, for your tireless work. Um, and and I say you all, not just meaning the folks who are speaking today, but everybody who's listening in, because I know uh, when it comes to the boots on the ground work, you all are doing it. That's the 2022 State of Indian Nations Address and the Congressional Response on Native America Calling. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Spruce.